Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. The scripture reading before the lesson this morning will be from Revelation chapter 22, starting in verse 17. Revelation 22, verse 17. And I'll be reading from the New King James Version. And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. It's a little bit ironic that that Michael had this problem this morning, and uh, I saw him a moment ago, and they're finishing up checking him out, and he was fine. It looked, I mean, that's my diagnosis. It looks fine now. And uh, so we're thankful for that. And it's interesting that the Eads were talking about how quickly help gets to you if you have a problem in this room. And Michael, unfortunately, has experienced that. But isn't it nice to have people who are trained to know what they're doing? And it gives me a lot of comfort. I don't know if they can get up these steps if I have a problem, but I hope they will. I'm going to refer to this passage of Scripture in Revelation chapter 22 today, more, more than once, in a few minutes. When, when this building was built, it was built in two parts. Now, that was by design, and I won't go into why, but, but we, we built the back part first, the, the part with the, the fellowship area, the small auditorium first, and then we built this about a year later. We met back there, so it was very crowded, met back here, and I have enjoyed through the years telling the story of the baptistry because people worship with us for the first time, and they look, and we don't have a baptistry up here in the typical place. And, and where it is is back there in that small auditorium. And for those of you who don't know or those who are listening online, the reason is that we built that part first and put a baptistry in because we, we had to have a place to baptize people. And when we got this auditorium finished a year or a little more later, well, it didn't make any sense to have two. We didn't need two. Furthermore, it didn't make any sense to tear that one out and move it because you'd probably destroy it. The only reasonable decision was to have it back there. That's where it is. And we've baptized a lot of folks in that pool over these last few years. And the way that we have done it, if someone wanted to be baptized during or at the conclusion of a worship assembly, why, we send them on back to get ready. And in this room, Paul get up and make a few closing announcements and maybe a prayer and then we just line up, and we, we've called it marching to the river. And we go back toward the, the pool, and we sing, and then we get back there, and we sing some more, and we pray, and then we watch the baptism, and then we hug. And that's how we do it around here. But there's something else on each of those occasions which has happened that's more important than where this pool is or that, that you and I were standing there witnessing this, it's more important than any of that. And that is that 
when that person, each time, when that person came up out of that water, our Lord took down the book, the book of life, and he wrote the person's name in that book. And what I want to talk about this morning is the book of life. The book of life. Sometimes it's called the Lamb's book of life. Now, in in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 12, the Bible says, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. This is obviously the judgment day. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of the things written in the books. Now, so far as I can tell, there are three. He says the books were open. I believe that's two books. And then in addition to that, the book of life. The two books would be, first, the Bible. John chapter 12 and verse 48 describes this. Jesus said, he that rejects me and receives not my words has one that judges him. The word which I speak the same shall judge him on the last day. That's going to be there. The Bible will be there. The second, and it's not called this in Scripture, I'm calling it this, it's the record of deeds, the book of our, our deeds, the way that we've lived our lives. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every man may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or evil. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13, remember, hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, because God's going to bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or evil. I'm telling you right now, it's a delight to me and my life to know that in Christ I have forgiveness and that he doesn't remember my sins anymore. What's going to happen at the judgment day is a discussion of my sins that are yet outstanding. But when he forgives one, the Bible says, I will remember their sins and iniquities no more. He will not recall my sins on that occasion because he will choose to to not remember my sins on that occasion. The third book, and the one that is specifically mentioned in Revelation 20 and verse 12, is the book of life. The book of life. The book of life is is the subject of our discussion today for the entire sermon. And um, I'm fascinated by this. Now, it's talked about, first of all, in Exodus chapter 32. So we're going to jump over to Exodus 32 and then then go to some New Testament passages. This is an unlikely place, I think, to find it. And yet, here it's introduced to us. And the, the, the context is that Moses has come down from Mount Sinai. And you remember the scene, don't you? You remember the golden calf? the debauchery beneath the mountain there and and all that Moses went through and he's miserable. Sometimes I think people who are at the bottom of a corporation, maybe they're the hourly wage earners. I'm not critical of that, but maybe they are inclined to look to the CEO and think, wow, I'd love to have his job. I don't think so. I, I don't think that's right. You take a guy that's at the top and he's got pressures that other people haven't ever thought of. He lives, he sleeps, he eats those pressures. And here's Moses. He's the lawgiver of God, the lawgiver of Israel. And, and he's exhausted. He's exasperated. He is disgusted. He's just, he's just miserable. And here's the prayer in that context that Moses prays to God. He says, I know what they've done. I know they, they've made a golden calf. They made a God, little G. They made this God and they worshiped it. And I beg you to forgive them for their sins. Forgive them. 
And then he added this, this amazing, crazy thing. He said, and, and if not, if, if you won't, I pray, blot me out of your book which you have written. God didn't punish him for that. We talked about this recently. He didn't punish him for that. I think that's interesting. I think God recognized the humility of Moses and the love he had for his people, the love he had for God. Just, just blot me out of your book. Now, there it is. There's the book of life. Just take me out of your book. Now, God's response was, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. I didn't say books. This is one book, and it's the book of life. It is that book that God, that Jesus, writes our names in when we are saved. Now, let's go to the New Testament. Here's Luke chapter 20, and um, chapter 10, rather, beginning in verse 19 and then 20. In this case, you have the disciples coming to Jesus, and they're able to perform miracles. They can cast out demons. And I'm telling you, they're jazzed about this. This is the most exciting thing. We could, the, the demons are subject to us in your name. Did you know that? Okay, now, I'm not making fun of anybody, but I'm going to preface that. I know I'm setting myself up, but bass boats are different from yachts. Not just in size, not just in expense, but bass boats have sparkles in the finish. The, the yachts don't. Miracles sparkle. I mean, they sparkle. And we just think we would just love to be able to do that. That's how, that's how we think. And, and here are these disciples, and they come, this wonderful thing, and Jesus puts cold water all over that. Don't you be rejoicing because the demons are subject to your name. You be rejoicing in something bigger, and it's that your names are written in heaven. There's the book. Okay, there's the book of life right there. How are you doing on that in your life? I mean, if I ask you right now, what are the most important things in your world? And I know you're Christians. I know that you'd think a few minutes and you would get it. But I guess initially we might say, well, my family or, or my career. I love my career. Maybe we would talk about that, that financially we're doing. I don't know what we would think about. I don't know. But we would ultimately, as Christians, I know what we would say. We would say the fact that I'm going to heaven. I'm, I'm born again. Right. That's right. The first answer must always be, and let's just tune our minds right now to this. What's the most important thing in your world, in your life, in your existence? And the answer is, my name is in the book of life. Now, here's, here's the next one, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 3. I urge you also, true companion, help those women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. I just want to pause up with this one. And, of course, this is the book. He specifies it. But how did he know their names were in the book? And you say, well, he is the apostle Paul. And the apostle would certainly know, right? He would know. I don't think it's divine. I don't think it's miraculous knowledge that he has. I think it's personal observation. In Second Thessalonians chapter 4, you have this description about the Lord's return and, and Christians, those people who are saved, are going to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then he says, and I want you to comfort one another with these words. I think the passage was written to be read at the funerals of faithful Christians, and we do. I'm telling you, we read that passage, and it is really comforting. There's nothing wrong, and you know, you know this, there's nothing wrong with us talking about the righteous dead today in our congregation who are gone to heaven. 
and to talk about glory and to talk about that's where they are and the rich assurance that we have because that's the comfort. We comfort one another with these words. My point is that that within some boundaries, you can tell when somebody's name is written in the book of life. And that's what happened here with the Apostle Paul when he's talking about these Philippian brethren. Their names are in the book. I, I don't think it would be wrong for us to refer to ourselves that way among the different designations. We're Christians and we're followers and we're sheep and we're the people whose names are written in the book of life. Now, let's do Hebrews chapter 12. Listen to this one, beginning in 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. That's it. Now, the Greek word there means something like enrolled on a ledger. It it describes exactly what the book of life is. It's the book that belongs to the Lamb, to Jesus. And he says your names are, these people, their names are registered in heaven. All right, now I want to go to the book of Revelation. And I want to give you four passages. Here's the first one. Can you flip that slide? There we go. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 12 that we mentioned a while ago. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. The books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. There it is. And the dead were judged out of the things written in the books. Now, here's Revelation chapter 20 and verse 15. So dropping down a bit. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So you know what? You're on the book or you're not. Years ago, there was a, a song, and I don't, I don't really remember the, the, the author of it uh, or the, the title of it, really, but the lyrics went something like this. I dreamed that I had died and gone to heaven. I stood just outside the eastern gate. The man from within said, have you been born again? And is your name written in the book of life? And then the, the chorus would be mournful. You can't shake it out of your mind once you think about it. And it was a begging and the chorus would go, please search the book again. I thought my name was there. Just bear in mind that this is, this is huge. When people are saved, he writes their names or that person's name in his book. Now, Revelation chapter 21. Here's verse 27. And they were judged, each one according to his works, when death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. Then that it was. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, there's no ambiguity about that. This is the book. This is the final book. Now, Revelation chapter 22, verse 19. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life. So I learned something more. The book of life is singular. All the people who are saved have their names written there. And there's a circumstance under which John the Revelator says, your name can be taken away from this. All right, so there you are. There's a quick assessment of this this amazing book that belongs to Jesus. you're, You're not going to see, so far as I know, you won't be seeing this book. I know that you can't check it out of the Library of Congress. It's not there, and you can't buy a copy of it on Amazon. This book belongs to its author. And you and I, you and I can't get it. We can't get a copy of it. 
But I tell you one thing, there's going to come a day when we will patiently wait and the most important thing of all will be the reading of the contents of this book. Now here's number two. Here's our second point for today. The two reasons that Jesus needs this book. And I, I wrote that. I, 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 don't, I, I, I suppose that need may be an interesting, maybe the wrong word for this. Why does he, why does he want to have such a book? Or, or maybe even better, why is it necessary for the Lord to have the book called the book of life? There are two main reasons, and they are security for Christians and warning for Christians. Now, let's take them in order. He gives it to us for security, for security. One of those reasons is that I, I, I think about, about the, the graves where people are buried. Did you ever think about your ancestors and recognize the fact that you have no idea very far back where the, the remains of that ancestor is? I mean, you may have, I mean, you can't reach very far back before you don't know. You don't know where those remains are. And, and I, I think it's, it's just obvious that through the centuries, there have been most of the graves, most of them, have just been lost and forgotten over time. How many times a barefooted plow boy has gone out and worked in a field to turn over the soil? He had no idea that he was walking amongst the remains of some people who were buried that some long time ago. If you go to Savannah, Georgia, the oldest remains of a plantation in Savannah, Georgia is a place called Wormslow. And, and it is on the outskirts there. You can drive out and the state or federal parks, they, they control the thing. And you can pay a fee and you can go back and look at, at those, those remains. At Wormslow, there is a, a grave, a tomb, and you walk back to it and there's a little iron fence around it and a rather large stone. And the, the person who built that plantation is, is depicted on that stone, all the words of his burial, and his name is Noble Jones, but, and his family, his wife Sarah and Indigo, their, their child, and, and some other descendants buried there. But if you walk around to the other side, there's a more recent, now that was 1775. There's a more recent stone that is attached to it, explaining why those bodies were exhumed and moved. And, and it was because it was 110 years later, and, and a descendant of Noble dug up those bones or whatever was left and moved them to a proper and prominent place in the center of Savannah. And it's there now in the old part of Savannah. And there's a beautiful monument there, Noble Jones and the family names and et cetera. So it was moved there. And you say, well, well, why is that? Well, this descendant in 1885 figured that, that people would want an explanation. And here it is. And I quote, and it's on that stone to save from oblivion the graves of his kindred. Oblivion, and I know you know the word, but the, but the word by definition means simply forgotten. It means to utterly be forgotten. And so he moved them to a more prominent place so those people wouldn't be forgotten. And I, I suppose he had some success. Here we are a little, little more than two centuries later and people still know just where Noble is. How many graves... How many graves? I would say most of them have long been forgotten and nobody knows that they're even there.
why does Jesus want a book of life? And I believe it is for the reason of giving us security that although I will be forgotten by men, it may not take very long for me, probably won't, but I'll not be forgotten by Jesus. He's, he's got the book. He, he's got my name in the book. It doesn't matter what happens to my physical body. That's really sort of beside the point, isn't it? When the trumpet blows, the graves are going to open up and, and we're going to go and we'll meet him in the air. And I know what the Bible says. Have you thought about how many, how many intangible things? See, we're humans and he knows that, and he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He has c- compassion on the fact that we're human and we, we just know so little about the other side. I mean, I understand what the Bible says about eternity. I've studied eternity. You know how much I know about it? Not very much. There's not much about what it's going to be like there, what it's like there now. And how many things can you think of in the Scripture are, are created or, or, or written there to, to dumb it down for us where we can just grasp it? What's God like? Rule Hebrews chapter 12. We had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? He's saying, you know what? If you want to understand God, some of the things that are qualities of your dad are the qualities of God. What's he doing? He's giving us something tangible for that which is intangible. I, don't, I can't understand eternity. I don't understand. Uh, I don't understand beings that never had a beginning and never have an ending. And that's because that's not true about my world. That's not how it is where I live here. And you have others. For example, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 10, talking about Abraham. He had a, he looked for a, a city that had foundations whose builder and maker is God. What's heaven like? Well, it's a city. That's not all. It's a place. So John chapter 14 and verse 6, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and, if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again. Now, I understand that. I got it. This, this is a place of, of uh, it's a spirit realm. It's not a physical realm. And yet he describes it as a place. Why? Well, because he wants us to grasp it. He wants us to be able, as these children we are, to have some understanding of it. Here's, here's Revelation chapter 22. He show, showed me a, this is heaven, y'all. It's, it's heaven. He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its tree and on either side of the river was the tree of life. There it is which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. Is that literal? Well, you might as well ask, are the streets of gold literal? Are the gates of pearl literal? I suppose not. It's a spirit realm. So why? Why would he do it? And why does he need the book of life? (coughs) And the answer is love. The answer is compassion. The answer is that he wants us to, to have some grasp of what he's saying. And the second thing is this. There are two reasons why he needs the book of life. The first one is it's compassion and security that I, it doesn't matter if I'm remembered. It doesn't matter if these old bones are long forgotten pretty quick. It doesn't matter because he'll remember me. He's got my name in his book. And here's the second thing, is warning. Now, in Exodus chapter 32 and verse 32 that we started this sermon with, 
It's interesting that Moses said, if you, if you don't forgive them, God, Israel, I know they've done a terrible thing building this calf. If, if you don't forgive them, just blot my name out. And remember the retort, the answer that God gave, which is, whoever has sinned against me, I'll blot him out of my book. I, you know, he's just saying, Moses, listen, Moses, don't overstep your bounds. I got this. I'm the one who handles the book. I am the one who takes care of the book. And then he added, though, a confirmation. Now, just just read this and, and appreciate the lack of ambiguity. I mean, he just plain out says it, that there is a, an occasion, a circumstance under which he would remove somebody's name. Now, this gets pretty interesting. The, the idea of pulling somebody's name off the book who turned away from God is, is also found not just at the beginning of the Bible, but also at the end. So we go back to Revelation 22. And, and this, is, um, this is what Alan read at the beginning before the sermon. I want you to get this because it's talking about our names being pulled off of the book. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of this prophecy, the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, the, the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Now, parenthetically, I want you to know that, that if you run the different well-known translations, only the King James and New King James here says book of life. The other translations, including the American Standard, says the tree of life. And there's a long discussion about why that is. Those are two different things, only the end result of this is the same. The tree of life is the source It's a symbolic source of our salvation, of our forgiveness, of our hope of heaven. The book of life is the name book reflection of what is true about who is saved. But the end result, again, is the same. Now, I'm giving you this passage under this heading of of a warning. And the warning is that a name can be taken away. This is of of great consternation to people who are take part in Calvinism, and part of Calvinism is once saved, always saved, which is tricky. It's a false doctrine, and, and it's tricky because you got passages like this that are just so very plain, and, and how do you explain them? And anyway, so here's a play on words in the passage. If anyone takes away, takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life. Albert Barnes is a, is a commentator, a Methodist commentator, for, uh, that's, that's one of the most famous commentaries. And I've got a set of them and have read from him for many, many years. But he had a Calvinistic idea about once saved, always. He believed once saved, always saved. You couldn't lose your salvation. And so here's a quote from that book. And I brought you the quote because, frankly, I think it's, it's humorous. Sometimes a a statement of the Bible is so very plain, it's very difficult if it goes against your doctrine to say, I know it says that, but it doesn't mean it. Well, enjoy this. When it said here that God would take away his part out of the book of life, the meaning is not that his name had been written in that book. When I first read that, I just, I did what some of you are doing with your eyebrows raised right now. And I just smiled. That's really a challenge right there to grasp. It doesn't mean if his name was taken out of the book, that his name was ever in the book, but that he would take away the part which he might have had or which he professed to have in that book. 
don't, don't do too many gymnastics. It's just false doctrine, and it's just hard for him to say it. But he's trying to fit this passage with his false doctrine of once saved, always saved. Uh, to make this matter worse is, is that the words take away, it's one Greek word, and the Greek word is the same one that's used. I'm not going to have too much fun with this. I just think it's just interesting that he goes so far to say the Bible's not right about this. Can't be right because it disagrees with me. We must never find ourselves in that predicament. The takeaway Greek word is the same one in Mark chapter 14 that's used when Peter relieves Malchus of his ear. And, and it says he cut away or cut off Malchus' ear. It's the same Greek word, take away. Now, I suppose that Malchus' ear was part of his head before it was taken off. And that's why you'd use the word take away. And this passage is talking about the book of life, and it uses that phrase, take away. God will take away. He will cut away. Somebody who who adds to or takes away from his word. Here's one more from the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 5. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Okay, now I'm obliged to bring that to you. I'm obliged to say, because we're talking about the book of life, I, I can't not say to the church, what I'm saying now, the Bible teaches, and one really important point about the book of life is that it has an eraser, and that there are circumstances under which people walk away from God, and he will erase. Jesus will take that name out. It is not fair to, to leave a different impression. However, it is so important that you understand with me that God is not dangling you over hell and, and uh, neutral about what happens to you. He's not. God wants you to be saved. I mean, he wants you to be saved. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It is simply to say that you mustn't believe that you can walk away from God and, and be presumptuous about his salvation. You, won't, you cannot do that. You'll lose that. Anyway, I want to finish this point point. go to the next one. But first I want to read from Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now this is security. It is true that a person can have his name removed from the book. And yet, for those of us who are Christians, we're in Christ and we, we're not walking after the flesh, we're walking after the Spirit. We get up every morning striving to please God. And sometimes we sin... First John 1 says, if you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself. Truth's not in you. Of course you sometimes sin. But we don't live for that. And every day I want to be a faithful Christian. And for those, those of us who are walking in the light, I'm telling you, your name is securely in that book. Your name's in the book. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? That's a a great question. It's Christ who died and furthermore has risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Got it? Want security in your salvation? Jesus died for you. 
He never lives to make intercession for you. And I tell you one more thing is that when you go to the judgment day, you want to know who the judge is going to be? 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, it's going to be Jesus Christ. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. It's really important not, not to talk so much about the fact that a name can be erased, that we leave the impression that our, that our salvation is always sort of in limbo. It's not, it's not true. It's not true. All right, here's the last point for this morning about the book of life. I need to make certain that my name is in the book. I've got to make sure. How could we even, how could we live a day and, and not be sure that our name is in the book? Now, when, when you go through Scripture, you find some very important things that will not get your name in the book. Good things, really good things. Morality is one of them. Let's put up that next slide. And you think about Acts chapter 10, you, you say... Not morality alone. I might be a very moral man. A lot of people judge folks like that. You know, to say he'd give you the shirt off his back and he's an honest. He's as honest as the day is long. Well, that, that's good. But now when you go to Acts chapter 10, the first couple of verses, you have a description of Cornelius. He was a devout man. He feared God. He gave alms to the people. But chapter 11 and verse 14 says that he needed words from Peter whereby he and his household could be saved. Point is, he was a great moral man. The Bible says he was, but he wasn't in Christ. You've got to be in Christ in order to have your name in the book. Being religious alone isn't enough. Lots of people are religious and never have had their name in the book. Matthew 7 and 21. Many will say unto me in that day, not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, haven't we prophesied in your name, in, in, in your name cast out demons and done many wonderful works, and I'll profess to them, I'll never, I never knew you. What's it mean? Your name's not in the book. It's not. Religious isn't enough. Faith alone's not enough. James chapter 2 and verse 24 by works a man is justified, not by faith only. What's the answer? The answer is you've got to obey the gospel. That's the answer. You've got to obey the gospel by repentance and confession and by baptism in water. To have you. That's, that's what the Bible says. The point, the exact moment at which a person is saved and his name is written in the book is when he comes up out of the waters of baptism. Romans chapter 6. King Agrippa, Acts 26, 27, Paul says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Agrippa said, almost you persuade me to be a Christian. And so from that we sing this song sometimes, almost cannot avail, almost is but to fail. Sad, sad, that bitter wail, almost but lost. I can have my name written there. And when you, when you go to Scripture, you go to the book of Acts, for example, and you read how people, what people did in order to be saved, to have their sins washed away. And, and then you'll know something about that book of life and how a person has his name written there. And the answer is you've got to obey the, the gospel. Second Thessalonians 1 and 7, to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus, there's the judgment day. The Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them. That's, see, that's, their, 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 their name's not in the book taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to obey the gospel. You don't just believe the gospel. You've got to do something about it. What's that? 
Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. First Peter 3 and 21 says baptism also now saves us. And Romans 6 says that, that we're buried with him in baptism. We're buried into Christ and into his death. And we come up out of that water to walk in newness of life. And I'm telling you that when, when, we, when we march back to the river at this building and we go back there to that pool and we immerse someone into Christ, when they come up out of that water, I suppose you could use your imagination and just about hear the sound of the pen and the ink on that paper because Jesus is recording that person's name in what the Bible calls the book of life. Now, sometimes a person becomes unfaithful, and we know that only too well walks away from God or lives, pursues just an immoral life and not walking after the spirit anymore, walking after the flesh, just an immoral life and a wicked life. <coughs> and, and it may be that, that sometimes you, you're like that. And, and what you need to do is to pray to God. And I would encourage a prayer like this. Father, please forgive me. I, I, I'm afraid my name has been taken out of your book. Put it back. I beg you, put it back. Maybe, maybe I've been living a life that other people know about, and I need to be restored publicly. I need to let the, the Lord know and the church know that I don't want to live like that. I'm not going to live like that. I want my name back in the book. I want it in the book. God is so forgiving. Remember, he doesn't want anybody to go to hell. He wants us to go to heaven. He loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. And it's an unspeakable gift, but he did it. But he did it. And then Jesus keeps the book. I wonder if there's somebody here this morning who needs to make things right with God. Why don't you do that now? Let's get the book right. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.